Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, we're talking to the nature expert, Florence Williams. Florence is a journalist, author, and podcaster whose work focuses on the environment, health, and science. She's a contributing editor at Outside Magazine and a freelance writer for the New York Times, National Geographic, the New York Review of Books, Slate, Mother Jones, and numerous other publications. She's also the writer and host of two Gracie Award-winning Audible original series, Breasts Unbound, and The Three-Day Effect, as well as an Outside Magazine's Double X Factor podcast. Florence's book, The Nature Fix, was an Audible bestseller and was named a top summer read by J.P. Morgan. Florence currently lives with her family in Washington, D.C., and as you'll hear, she gets outside in the cold D.C. winter months. In this episode, Florence walks us through the science behind how nature makes us healthier, happier, and more creative with lots of fun facts along the way. I know getting out in nature for me is key to my happiness and creativity. I share a bit more about this in this episode, but nine times out of 10, my best ideas come from a morning or afternoon stroll when I'm fully present taking in my surroundings. Florence and I discuss how to get the most benefits out of your nature time and how we can make nature part of our everyday lives, even in the cold winter months. Florence, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on. I know we've been trying to make this happen for a while now, and I'd love for you to just start with telling everyone a little bit about your story and how you became to be an expert at, you know, I feel like in all things nature and the benefits of it. Oh, thanks, Kate. And thanks so much for inviting me on. Um, I am an environmental and science journalist. And I've been doing that for a long time. Um, I my first job was working for a, a little environmental magazine called High Country News in Colorado. And in those days, I wrote a lot about um, you know Forest Service policy and the Clean Air Act, and um, you know various somewhat somewhat dry public land conflicts. And at some point, I just became more interested in the people. I was like, well. How, how does this really affect human health? How does it affect child health? Um, I uh, had a baby and was nursing her. And I read some research that there were industrial chemicals showing up in breast milk. I was really concerned about that. I wanted to learn more about it. Um, and I, I thought a good way to do that would be to actually tell the story sort of in the first person. And so I sent a vial of my breast milk off to a lab in Germany, which is one of the few places in the world at the time that was able to test for some of these industrial substances. And we found, you know, flame retardants and pesticides and jet fuel ingredients. I ended up writing that for the New York Times Magazine. Um, It sort of went viral. And it really affirmed for me that there is a lot of interest in environmental health um, and also in using the first person as a storytelling technique. Awesome. Yeah. Cause I know you have your book, the nature fix, and that's a lot of the aspects from that book I want to dive into. Um, and even starting there, you know, with that book, you hit on what, you know, how nature makes us healthier, happier, and more creative. So let's just dive into how it can make us healthier. Yes. And I was so happy to write that after writing about industrial pollutants. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, I started out really talking about how our environment can sort of hurt our health. 
And it, it turns out there's there's a lot of interest in in sort of the the better news side of that, which is how we can be helped by our environment. Um, I was living in Colorado and Montana for a couple of decades, uh, and I moved to Washington D.C. So um, that's when I noticed <laughs> that I, I felt like um, you know my psychology changed, my emotional state changed. This kind of stress bomb went off in my own brain. And I became really interested in the question of, you know, how how does our external landscape get reflected in our internal emotional landscape? You know, I had heard the term nature deficit disorder. The journalist Richard Louvre coined that term. Um, But I was really interested in what the science had to say about it. And I got an assignment from Outside Magazine, followed by one from National Geographic, to really go around the world and talk to different scientists who had ongoing studies, you know, that I could even participate in or witness, um, looking at sort of different aspects of, uh, you know, of, of the elements of nature that make us feel a certain way. So, for example, the color green, and the color blue. What happens to our brain waves when? Um, we look at fractal patterns. You know what happens to our nervous system when we hear birdsong. Um, you know what happens to our heart rate variability when we go for a walk in the woods, as opposed to going for a walk in an urban center. Uh, so there were there were a lot of studies going on, and and um, that's yeah, that's kind of uh, how I realized there's enough material here for book. Yeah. No, Florence, could you dive into those three aspects? Like when we see blue and green, our heart rate variability, um, and just give us those tidbits and what nature actually does. Yeah. So, I mean, psychologists and neuroscientists have been really interested in sort of drilling down on, you know, what are the elements of nature that, that affect us in different ways. And, you know, color psychology has been a thing for a while, like we know that red, for example, is kind of an alerting color and an exciting color. And when we see that, you know, our, our pulse rate sort of increases a little bit. Um, maybe we sweat a little more in measurements of um, galvanic skin response, which is a, another sort of measurement of the nervous system um, and how sort of stimulated we are. And it, it looks like from some of these studies that the color blue makes us feel calm and the color green makes us feel sort of invigorated. Um, And these are really positive emotions from those colors that, you know, some people think, well, maybe this is a really deeply evolved response because um, there's something about the color, the colors, blue and green, that convey just a healthful environment. You know, we can find clean water in this environment, we can find vegetation that maybe we can eat or that can shelter us. And so, you know, from our deeply evolved past, we, it it helped us to be attracted to environments that had a lot of those colors in them. And so we, we developed sort of positive feelings around them um, that helped us survive. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's a great combination too, right? When you think about feeling calm yet invigorate, invigorated. And I'm just thinking about like seeing the ocean while you're also seeing greenery, right? Um, obviously you saw a lot of that when we were living in California and it is, it's just, it's such a, it's a great way to put it because you do, you feel a sense of calm, but you feel so alive. And, I and 
Exactly. Yeah. I think there's something similar that happens when we hear birdsong, right? So, yeah. so that also just indicates uh, a healthful environment and also kind of a safe space because yeah. it's when you don't hear the birdsong that something may be wrong, right? There maybe is a, a big storm coming, some weird shift in barometric pressure, or maybe there's a predator <laughs> or something like that. And so um, there's, uh, there's something that tells our brains that this is a good day. We can hear birdsong. Let's be psyched. Yeah. And so I'm curious, even for someone like, let's say they live in an urban environment and yes, the sky is blue, but maybe there's not a lot of trees or vegetation around them. Could even something as simple as having blue wallpaper or, you know, blue walls or incorporating green into their apartment, would it have a similar effect? You know, I think that I think that that is a conclusion from a lot of interior designers and biophilic architects, people even who design, you know, hospitals. I mean, you definitely see those kinds of color schemes um, that. Oh, and also retailers. <laughs> I mean, retailers have tapped into this too. They want to convey certain responses or elicit certain responses um, in shoppers. So. And, and here you see this with, um, with aromas, you know, sometimes you walk into a store and it smells like, you know, citrus, and that's a really deliberate sort of calculated strategy, um, you know, to make you want to buy more stuff because there's, there's psychological research that shows that when you smell citrus, you spend more money. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, there are ways to definitely manipulate these sensory experiences in constructed indoor environments. Awesome. And going back to kind of like how like specific benefits that nature can make us healthier, are there specific things just in terms of our health? Obviously, right? Like feeling calm yet invigorated, that's it's going to be a better health choice for you, right? Than seeing like a red or things like that. But are there other specific health benefits? Well, when we feel calmer, um, our bodies are pumping out less stress hormones, things like fewer stress hormones, things like noradrenaline uh, and cortisol. And uh, when that happens, our immune systems seem to work better, right? And and so, um, you know, we, we pump out those, those stress hormones when we need to flee or fight or get away. And that's, that's really healthy in the short term. But if we're, if we're sort of producing a lot of those hormones over the long term or sort of on a chronic level, um, it impacts our fertility. It impacts our, um, everything, everything, our, 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 um, arteries, you know, um, people who live underneath the flight paths of major airports, um, are shown to have sort of, they're, they're at higher risk for cardiovascular events, for strokes, um, for learning disabilities. They need more anxiety medication. Um, you know, these are, these are sort of suggestive studies are not necessarily, you know, proven cause and effect. Um, and then there are people also looking researchers, immunologists, looking at things like, um, the aerosols that trees emit in a forest and how certain aerosols, for example, from Hinoki Cypress forests in Japan and South Korea, um, these seem to help us produce more killer T immune cells. And this has been shown even in studies where researchers have put people in a hotel room um, with a mister that releases some of these essential oils 
as opposed to rooms that are just emitting water. And after a couple of days of being sort of locked in these rooms, you know, the, the people with the essential oil smells um, and aerosols, um, their their blood is producing more of these killer T cells. It's pretty interesting. Oh, that's so interesting. And that's, you know, that's an easy thing too, to get some essential oils, right? Get a little diffuser. Um, and I don't know if there were specific, specific ones. I mean, I know there's so many essential oils, but um, that's really interesting. Well, this one immunologist I spoke to, Dr. Cheng Li, who's since written a pretty interesting book about sort of what he calls um, forest bathing or Shinrin-yoku. Yep. Um, you know, he advocates going into the woods um, at least once a week because the the elevation in, in immune cells uh, lasts for about seven days. It actually lasts lasts for 30 days, but like the big dose lasts for about seven days. So, you know, he's like, hey, if you want to be healthy, you should go to the woods once a week. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, Florence, can you just share with our audience what forest bathing is? Yeah. Forest bathing as, as he describes it. And as a lot of these Japanese and Chinese researchers describe it, um, it's not an ancient practice. Like, you know, I think some people think, um, it's really just, it was promoted by the government in Japan in the 1980s as a way to, um, you know, sort of deal with really elevated stress levels associated with rapid uh, urbanization and industrialization, sort of increased heart attacks and, and uh, depression and anxiety. So it's the way it's promoted there is um, sometimes there's a guide who might take you out on a forest trail and um, invite you to open your senses through various sort of exercises and meditations. So you might focus for 10 minutes just on the bird song or um, on the smells or on the play of light in the woods. So it's kind of a way to be really present and mindful um, and sort of fully embodied and sensory. And, and it turns out all of those things, of course, are really linked to lower distress levels and to feelings of, um, uh, you know, well-being, really. Yeah. And that's something I know we talked about right before we hopped on was, you know, we promote a lot of these Nordic philosophies and one of them is free loose live, which is, it means the trans, the direct translation is open air living, but it's a lot of the people in the Nordic countries, which they tend to rank very high on the happiest people every single year is just getting outside in nature for both the exercise, but really for that connection, like we were just talking about. So it's like, whether it's the forest bathing, right. That came from Japan or free loose live, that's their Nordic philosophy. It's all saying the same thing. Um, we just had, I don't know, Florence, if you're familiar with Mike biking, he wrote like the little book of, um, yoga and little book of like you, but he runs the happiness research Institute in Copenhagen. Hmm. And so he just studies, you know, what makes people happy and what doesn't. And being in nature is a huge part of that. Yeah, I believe it. I, I did spend quite a bit of time in Finland and there's some really interesting studies there too, looking at, um, sort of diversity of microflora on skin. Yeah. Comparing the skin of preschoolers who go to outdoor kindergartens and preschools versus the skin of kids who are in urban classrooms and have, have sort of urban um, playgrounds and found that the kids in the forest 
do have a greater diversity of bacteria on their skin. If you swap fascinating. And then they also seem to have, you know, fewer allergies. They get fewer colds, fewer instances of asthma. Um, so again, it seems to be sort of linked to this, you know, intensive amount of time outside. Have you found, I'm curious, like just across your research, because we did have, um, on James Nestor, who wrote the book breath. And he talks all about nasal breathing versus breathing in through your mouth. When you're walking through nature, does that have any impact if you're breathing and taking in senses through your, or like breathing in through your nose versus mouth breathing? Um, you know, I don't know how it translates to that, but I do know that when you walk into one of these Hinoki Cypress filled forests, it's kind of like walking into a tub of VapoRub. I mean, you feel, you kind of feel like your airways are opening up. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there, there certainly may be something to that as well as the fact that the trees are just, you know, they're, they're certainly giving off a lot of oxygen. These are very oxygen rich environments. Um, so I, th- I think there may be a, a correlation with breathing. Some of the forest bathing studies indicate that your respiration kind of slows down a little bit and that you take kind of longer, deeper breaths um, when you're in these really peaceful, uh, beautiful environments. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'm curious, transitioning to kind of, you know, I find the creative aspect of it. So how can nature make us more creative? I've always been a big proponent of if I have a big day or like a big creative day, even where I need to come up with different project ideas, or I'm recording a bunch of podcasts, something, you know, where I'm going to have to use a lot of my brain power and the creative parts of it. A morning walk is an absolute must because most of the time, that's where what, as I'm walking ideas will just come to me or even for ideas that, you know, projects I've been working on and I still haven't been able to come up with that, you know, like that hook or just smaller aspects of it, or even larger aspects. And they just come to me. So can we talk about like the science behind why nature makes us more creative and just gets like our, you know, our brain flowing more Yeah. I mean, I think that there are a lot of theories about it. Um, one, I mean, I spent a lot of time with this cognitive neuroscientist at the university of Utah. His name is, um, Dr. Um, Dr. Strayer and David Strayer. He has this theory that, you know, in modern life, (laughs) we tend to really live in our sort of prefrontal cortex, which is like our thinking task oriented brain. You know, that's where we're like checking items off our to-do lists and, um, you know, planning and executing, right. It's our, it's, it's like the, the center of our executive network and we're just in there all the time. And that when we go out into nature, what happens is our sensory brain sort of wakes up and they, they don't necessarily both exist at the same time. So, so when we're smelling something wonderful or looking at fractal patterns, you know, our thinking brain, it sort of turns off for a, a couple of minutes or seconds or, or even va- you know, vaster chunks of time. <laughs> and so it, it's like a muscle that we overuse so much. And that's why we're so exhausted and taxed at the end of the day. And, you know, where we have trouble coming up with sort of new ideas sometimes. Um, and so the idea is that we rest it 
you know, when we're outside in nature, he believes actually that we get the biggest bang for the buck if we're outside for three days. And he's done some studies where he's tested people on these really creative um, sort of problem solving tests. And he's found a 50% bump in creativity um, after people are outside for three days. And it's because they like rested their brains and their brains are fresh. But, you know, there are a lot of other theories too, just having to do with, you know, like oxygenating your brain. So if you're walking outside, you're moving different parts of your body, um, that's kind of moving the blood flow around in your brain to different places. Maybe it's your sensory brain, maybe it's your sort of empathetic brain. Um, and so you're actually um, connecting different parts of your brain in a way that you're not, if you're just sitting at a desk, kind of, you know, responding to email or you know, trying to compose something. Um, and when your brain is more interconnected, it's just going to be a more creative brain. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear you say like, it's relaxing that muscle and explain it because I'm always trying to, whether it's tell clients, right. Or honestly, now I'm like every company should make it mandatory that their employees get outside for a certain amount of time, right. To help increase that productivity. Like you will be more productive if you just go outside for, even if you only have 15 minutes to go for a quick walk or just get outdoors I'm so glad we really touched on like what it's actually doing for us. And, you know, with COVID obviously transitioning now, and some people are still working from home. Some people are going back to an office environment. Are there larger studies that have looked at, you know, people that are staying indoors all day, especially like in an office environment, or if you have an apartment that doesn't have windows or light coming in, how that's going to affect not only your productivity, but also right your mood. And we talked about health, obviously, as a big piece of it too earlier versus even if you're able to just get outside twice, you know, each day or um, whatever the amount is. I think there are some studies um, similar to that that are sort of out there. I'm, I'm aware of one that was um, looking at views out a window and um, sort of micro breaks, looking at green space outside a window and finding that when people had something green to sort of look at, um, you know, even if it's for like just a part of a second, you know, every few minutes that they, um, that they feel a little bit more relaxed, they're able to sort of recover from work stresses better. Um, and there are studies looking at school children who have kind of green schoolyards and windows looking out onto that as opposed to kids in rooms that don't look out onto onto anything outside or onto a brick wall or something like that. And finding that the kids with the good window views recover from stress better and actually perform a little better on tests as well. And, and sometimes these school studies look at the same kids. So it's not sort of a question of like, you know, wealthier neighborhood schools. Um, they'll, they'll take one school in one neighborhood where there were just brown schoolyards and then um, you know, they'll redo the yard and make it sort of a green school yard and the test scores go up. So it's like the same kids, but they're seeing these, you know, what, what, what are, what's, what seems to be suggested, you know, are changes in the landscape outside. Yeah. I'm trying to think parts. I can't remember, but there was a larger study done in a hospital setting for patients who were able to either get outside or just have a window, like a big window in their room and their health was 
and their progress in terms of getting healthier and better was directly correlated. I knew it sparked like a whole movement within hospitals to make sure there was some type of green space or that if patients were able to, they could get outside and have like a garden to just walk through. Um, I can't remember the study, but it's, it's a long, right. It's the same effect. And I think, I mean, I'm actually, we were just talking about how I just moved. And so I'd only have a lot of things set up, but I'm in front of a window right now. And not only if you're working from home, it helps you with, right. Like your, your natural lighting on your zoom calls, but it is like, I'm looking at greenery and I'm much happier than if I was staring at a wall. So I think something easy, if you're at home and it's like, how can I incorporate these things is like maybe position your desk right in front of a window where you are looking out onto a green space or, um, just setting in those times. Like I love setting in timers or just little chunks in my day where it is like a 15 minute break. And it just says like, get outside (laughs) or, you know, because oftentimes it's hard. Like if we don't have it planned in, it can also, if our day, you know, it can just fly by and we don't even think about it until later, um, in the evening, which maybe at that point, if you have kids or things like that, you just, it's not conducive to get out and move, but, um, taking those little breaks just helps so much. And then if you can get outdoors, it's like, right. Then you can get all these benefits with it. Yeah. I think your instincts are really supported by, um, the science, you know, which indicate that, yes, if we have natural daylight coming in, um, that's going to sort of make us feel a little bit more alert, may help us sleep a little bit better, you know, at the end of the night, uh, at the end of the work day. Um, yes, little micro breaks seem to reduce our stress levels and make us a little calmer and more creative. And uh, I think it's, you know, it may be not just enough to sort of go outside often if you're still thinking about your to-do list or, um, you know, you're on a difficult phone call or something. I think it helps to also cue yourself into um, your sensory body. And there seems to be some research about that. So when you do go outside, just like take a second and ask yourself, you know, do I hear any birds? Um, are there any clouds up there? You know, um, um, do I see anything moving around me, you know, in the tree or what does the breeze feel like? What does the temperature feel like? So they're just like these little instructions that we can give ourselves, um, that seem to really make a big difference in our emotional state. I love that. Um, I'm curious too, you just touched a bit on sleep. How does being out in nature more so throughout the day, how can that impact our sleep? Um, you know, as human animals, our, our nervous systems are kind of built to be really responsive to circadian rhythms. And we know that when you're outside in the middle of the day, it's like a thousand times brighter. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge, um, it's, it's just a huge difference. It's like a thousand times brighter outside than it is in under the electric lights in your house or your office. Um, and of course at nighttime, it's much, much darker. Um, even, even if you're in a city, it's darker outside than it's going to be, you know, inside your house probably. And, um, so anything we can do to kind of, um, I guess sort of cue our bodies, you know, to, yeah. to sort of where we are in the natural cycle of the day, that seems to, help with the hormones that get released at night, like melatonin. Um, I have heard that if you go for early morning walks, that that's particularly good at kind of resetting your circadian rhythm. Yep. Getting out in sunshine early is huge. That's huge. Even just in front of a window. 
or even in front of a window, well, yeah, any place where you can get some of that natural lux. Um, and I've also heard that if you go camping, you know, for two nights, um, that you can actually reset <laughs> your circadian rhythms to get, uh, you know, up to an hour more sleep. Uh, and that can last, you know, for at least a little while after you get home. Oh, that's such a great tidbit. I it's yeah, there's, I mean, there's been some research too on even like in the morning, if your kids are waking up really early, you got your 5 AMers or 6 AM. And obviously it depends on time of year when the sun's coming up, but even just having them play in the light by a window versus away from it, it helps their sleep patterns as well. Oh, that's good. That's kind of stealth parenting, mm-hmm. right? As opposed so to even, like yelling yeah. at them to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So even like in the morning, yeah, if you're not yeah. able to go out for a walk is just getting by a window, it can really help reset that, um, circadian rhythm. We have a really good episode with, um, Dr. Chris Moore, and he talks all about sleep and your circadian rhythm and how to, um, kind of reset it. But a big part, I mean, light plays a huge part and especially natural light. If you can get that in. Yes. If you can get it. Um, I'm curious, Lawrence, there's so many like fun little facts about nature within the nature fix that, I just find fascinating and about their benefits. Are there any in particular that are your, some of your favorites that you can share with people and just how it affects us? Oh gosh, there are so many. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love the sound studies, you know, and, um, the bird song studies I think are really helpful. That's one I kind of think about a lot, you know, yeah. when I'm trying to cue into kind of the present moment. And another for me is a sense of smell. I, that's just sort of my superpower sense. So when I do go for walks, uh, you know, even in, on city streets, um, there's a lot of landscaping around and, and I'll sort of, um, you know, I'll make a big effort to try to smell some blossoms or to pull some pine needles, you know, off some landscaping and crumble it in my hands and smell it as I walk along. And it, it really can just shift my mood sort of instantly. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. how just a little thing. And it's one thing that, um, we had someone else on the podcast talk a little bit about grounding and earthing. And I'm just curious your thoughts on that and also explaining to people what that is. You know, I'm not um, really an expert in that at all. And I, I have not myself seen a lot of solid science on it, but my understanding is that it's the practice, you know, going barefoot basically. Yeah. Um, I know it feels great. (laughs) Um, We have a lot of um, you know, sort of nerve receptors and sense receptors on the bottoms of our feet. And, um, it feels really good, but I, I don't, I haven't seen a lot of science sort of rigorous science. Yeah. It's still exactly. It's still pretty new. And I think the main things that have come out is just, again, that de-stressing aspect of having, like you were saying, a lot of your sensory nerves are in the bottom of your feet. So whether it's putting your feet in grass or even like mud, like (laughs) that sinky mud, it's just, it can yeah, be another way. Um, it's another way to it, remind yourself, you know, that you are, that you have a body, <laughs> which we sometimes tend to forget when we're, you know, in our offices all day. Oh, completely. Well, it's like, it's, it's again, we're like, we're talking about this, just using your senses, right? Like if we're inside all day, I mean, yes, if you eat right, you're eating lunch. Okay. We're using taste, but like, if there's nothing that's going to invite your senses to be used, 
we can, yeah, we, we can kind of forget about that. And how many of us eat lunch, you know, while we're <laughs> answering, emails? Over answering emails or and before, yeah, doing before all we the know things. it, we've like eaten the whole plate and we're like, what did I just even eat? I don't even know. So we're not always just very, you know, mindful about what we're doing. Oh, completely. Actually, right before we hopped on Florence, cause I had a meeting before I'm like, Andrew was on too. And I, our producer, and I'm like <laughs> shoveling my lunch in because I knew I needed to get it in, especially pregnant. And it's true. Like, you know, it's like, I probably, I definitely didn't enjoy it as much as I would have. Right. If I actually used all my senses. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, you know, we talked about little things people can do, like, you know, planning it into their day to get outside or, you know, get outside and move as well. Getting in front of a window. Um, maybe when you're choosing out your paint colors, think about green or blue, but what are some other ways that people can really make nature a part of their everyday life that you've seen helpful and attainable? Yeah, I think, um, you know, maybe, um, using some of these essential oils, you know, in your bath or in a mister, um, and, you know, thinking about products that make you feel, um, you know, feel rest, rested and feel good. Um, I think, um, you know, moving your body and if you can move it outside, then you're really getting a, a great bang for your buck there. Um, cueing yourself into all of those senses, taking deep breaths outside. I recommend people, um, also just look at the sky. You know, if you're in a city and you don't necessarily have a lot of green space or trees around you, you can always look up and get a little hit of that sense of expansiveness. Um, you know, the feeling that you are a member of a community and a member of the world and a member of, <laughs> you know, this, yeah. this shared space, you know, that's important for us to feel, you know, during times when um, we might be kind of isolated or feeling lonely. Um, I think nature can really help us feel like we're part of something larger. You know, there's a lot of science looking at the power of awe. Um, and, and that really gets to this idea that, you know, nature and wilderness are actually really good for civilization because they make us live together better in groups. And I think that's kind of an underappreciated element of nature. Oh, for sure. I mean, I can say whenever I look, and this is one thing why I will always need to live near a body of water or, you know, the ocean, but you look out at the ocean and it always reminds me of how small we are. Right. And that we are a part of something, but also it helps. I find, you know, any concerns or issues I'm having, they feel very small. So I, you know, it's like, it just, it is, it's like that community aspect and realizing you're a part of something, but also a lot of stuff melts away when you're in nature. And it's interesting when we were just talking to Mike Viking last week, um, he was talking about how in Denmark, one thing he loves and in a lot of those Nordic countries is they really create infrastructure to have it be easier for you to get on your bike and go and move around town versus get in a car. And I wish <laughs> it was more like that here in the States. Hopefully we're getting to that at some point, but, um, you know, thinking about those things, even if you live in an urban environment, now there's so many city bikes or jump bikes, all these things, thinking about getting outside and going for the walk versus taking the subway and hopping on a bike. 
Exactly. I mean, I think the built environment can play a huge role, right? In how totally. we access some of these benefits. Uh, and in fact, you know, it's really important that we look at who even has access to city mm-hmm. parks and to nature parks. Um, it's a huge social justice issue. I mean, where I live in Washington, D.C., you can see poverty from space because you can see the neighborhoods that don't have the trees and don't have the tree cover. Uh, and, you, and, and, you know, it also turns out that those neighborhoods are going to be a lot hotter in the summer heat and are a lot more affected by global warming, you know, so that the, the social justice consequences of green space really snowball, you know, to you, I guess to use a yep. quite non-fitting metaphor, but, um, yeah, I mean, they really get exacerbated. Um, so urban planners can play a huge role in this and, um, architects can play a huge role in this schools and workplaces, you know, can do a lot to encourage people to go outside, um, to create more opportunities for natural lighting. Um, you know, a lot of sort of more enlightened workplaces have incorporated things like green roofs, um, green break areas, um, garden courtyards, walking trails, uh, you know, I mean, even Facebook now has, uh, you know, these walking trails on the roof of its headquarters. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm curious, Lawrence, how do you incorporate nature into your, just like your daily routine to make sure you're getting the benefits? Um, I mean, you know, every day I would say (laughs) I'm, I'm definitely trying to do something outside, even if it's just a walk with my dog, you know, in the neighborhood. And then when I'm out there, I am definitely trying to cue in to things that are beautiful. Um, I, I, there's this, um, there's this acronym for seeing things that are, are beautiful. It's a W E mm-hmm. and, um, I'll just share it here. Cause it, it does kind of remind me sometimes. So the a would be for attention. So like when you look at something beautiful, you know, p- actually pay attention to it for a minute and yeah. then the W is weight. So, okay. you know, don't just like rush off, but actually attend to it for a little while, like maybe two or three breaths. And then the E is for exhale you know, sort of reminds us to slow down a minute, take a couple of breaths and just really be present with that beautiful item or blossom or whatever it is that you're looking at. I love that. And what would you say for when it's winter time and it's cold out? Are there any tips you can share for still <laughs> trying to get outside? Cause I feel like that's the time when people, you know, in the summertime, it's, it's easy to try and get outside a lot. You want to get outside well in certain places, unless it's too hot, but, um, winter seems to be where people struggle and also seem to struggle more so with like seasonal affective disorder and things like that. Yeah. I mean, there are studies showing that even when it's terrible weather outside, you still get the benefits. Yeah. Um, so you'd still have sort of increased attention span. Um, you are sort of better at problem solving, you know, so you, you actually get a lot of these benefits. You also feel, um, you know, you get some of the circadian rhythm benefits. You might get some of the vitamin D. Um, I feel like there's kind of a 15 minute rule for being outside, which is that when it's really cold and nasty out, you're, you know, you're not really going to love it for the first 15 minutes, but then, you know, you warm up. And then it's great. So you just have to like get past the 15 minute mark and then you don't want to come in. Like you just want to stay out there. That's true. And, and you know what I, I've shared before on our podcast, but I just, I, I love this 
um, perspective so much, but a lot of those Nordic countries, they have a perspective of there's no bad weather, just bad clothes. The clothing is huge. Okay. So the other secret, there's the 15 minute rule, but the other secret is a really good hood. (laughs) If you have like a windproof hood, you know, you could go out into anything and it doesn't bother you. It's like, it's like, you feel that cold wind in your ears. That's when you get really bummed out. So I am like all about the hood. Or it's again, it's like, or get that. Like if there's like a winter hat, you've really been wanting or a scarf. It's like, get it and use it, get it <laughs> get it and actually use it. And, but I love that 15 minute rule. Cause it is true. It's like, it's always tough right in the beginning transition. And then you're like, well, yeah, I don't want to go back inside. Right. This is awesome. Right. Um, oh, well, thank you so much for This has been great. We do love to wrap up every episode and it gets you know, our listeners to know you a little bit more, um, but with a little rapid fire Q and a, so first things that come to mind, um, we just have three, but our first is what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Uh, I would say the breath. So, you know, taking several deep breaths is, is the way I can center myself really fast. Yeah. I love that. Uh, coffee or tea. Definitely tea. Okay. What well, do you have a favorite kind of tea or? Yeah, I make my own um, tea Ooh. that I drink every morning and it's, it's actually a blend of a little bit of Jasmine green and then also some Irish breakfast. Oh, that sounds, that sounds really, actually, those are probably my two favorite teas. Ah. So that sounds great. I never thought about blending them though. Yes. Try Interesting. It. Yeah, I will. Um, favorite home cooked meal. Oh, I love a huge salad like a chopped salad with everything. Yeah. What would you like? What would you put in it? Um, I would put some nuts and some seeds and some avocado, some kind of nice protein, um, maybe a nice chunk of salmon. Mm. Um, and really anything I've got in the fridge, sometimes it's, you know, leftover roasted veggies. I just, I just throw it in. I just love a big salad bowl. I love, yeah, I know. And eating it out of like that giant bowl, giant bowl. <laughs> I hate it when people give me like these little me salads. Too. No, <laughs> it's especially when you go to a restaurant, you're like trying to mix it and the bowl's not big enough and it just yeah. doesn't work like big bowls, people, um, big well, Florence, where can people connect with you more, find your books and just learn more. Um, yeah, thanks so much for asking. I, I have a website. It's florencewilliams.com and there are links to my Instagram where I do post pretty pictures of nature. Um, and I also talk about, um, there's a newsletter you can set up for it, find out when I have new books coming out, new podcasts, uh, and new magazine articles. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much. And we will hopefully make sure everyone and encourage everyone to get outside today. Thank you, Kate. I hope you get out too. I want you to practice what Florence calls awe, or A-W-E, standing for attention, weight, and exhale when you go out into nature. Take it all in. Ask yourself, are there clouds in the sky? Are there birds singing? In other words, stop and smell the roses. And if it's cold out, try her 15-minute rule. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can watch every episode of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. And right now, a lot of baby action. 
Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like the show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.